Welcome to Control-Alt-Revolt, the podcast. This is episode number 12, and I am here with my co-host, Single White Medusa. We are enjoying a cup of Starbucks coffee this afternoon as Rental Car Quest continues, and we are now in a brand new Jeep Cherokee. Which is our fourth. That's a lot. We're pretty high maintenance. But this is the this is the best one, actually. This is the best one. This is comfort country. I'm not a big Jeep fan. Um because they're they're not great cars like in general uh, but they're fun but we had a mercedes suv crap yeah and then we had a cadillac suv crap yep and then we had an audi one that wasn't that was oh. kind of chintzy too. yeah like and, and they were this one feels like every nice. time they would try to give that to us they're like oh an audi q4 and i'm like i have no idea yeah but i really just want my ford back yeah yeah I'm a ford guy I, if that one, I know it's like this one and our Ford feel the best. Like they just feel solid and comfortable and it's kind of crazy. Yeah. I would not have guessed that. I would not have guessed that either. Things are, uh, you know, still a little crazier today than they have been, mm-hmm. but some interesting things are happening. What would you say are some of the interesting things that have happened in the last 24 hours? Well, yet again, Fauci has done a 180 yes. and kind of basically admitted lying and I think literally admitted verbatim that um, him wearing a mask after being vaccinated was theater. Yeah. I mean, that cat has literally like from the very beginning of this changed his story several times, um, been given a total pass by the mainstream media, worshipped and adored, mm-hmm. you know, on every cruddy TV show that's out there. He, you know, ah, I'm Fauci and, and these are the things you gotta do, you know, and and uh, and then admitted to lying several times, yeah, and then lied to Rand Paul, a senator, mm-hmm. in front of America, saying he did not fund the gain of function. Mm-hmm. Politifact, who is no friend to the right, comes out today and says, "Yeah, yeah, there was gain of function study done at that lab that this institute that Fauci funds runs." So yes, you did, but he was playing that word game. You know, trying to trying to dice it, but when you're playing word games, and that's like the kind of the bigger thing that's going on with me right now, is has this not been the toughest year of our lives as a nation? Mm-hmm. I'm not saying the toughest year ever, but I'm saying it's been a really tough year. Shouldn't we be trying to get to the truth of the matter? Shouldn't we be trying to help people? Shouldn't we not be playing these political games? And instead, still at this late hour with the country in the supply chain, absolutely devastated. People's lives ruined. People have committed suicide. Children are struggling. All these things. And these people are still rearranging deck chairs on the Titanic. And like here in California, you know, the CDC has said, okay, you don't need masks anymore. And California said, oh, no, not until May 15th. And I think the thing that drives you nuts. June 15th. June 15th. The thing that drives you nuts about that is what? Well, a lot of things. But one is like. How do you magically know yeah. that that's the perfect date? Yeah, if you're going by the science and the numbers, yeah. how how do you know that's the perfect date when the CDC has told you now mm-hmm. you can do it looking at your numbers yeah. and yet you still have this date? Now, it's either that Newsom knows, knows he's cooked and so he's just being a jerk about it or there is some kind of special thing coming down the road. Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know if he thinks the timing of it will be better for him in his recall election, if he waits a little longer. I don't know, but you you know there's something going on there. Or he just wants to feel like, no, I have the power and I get to say when it is. I'm not really sure. 
Yeah, exactly. I don't know. It's it's there's a lot of people who are saying one thing, hey, we believe in the science, we follow the science. Then when you kind of dig down into that, you find, well, no, you just follow follow the science you want to hear. Mm -hmm. If anybody else presents different science, which it's really science, it's a method of investigation, reaching a conclusion, well, then that science is so verboten, which is German for forbidden, that it needs to be silenced. You can't mention it on YouTube. People have to be defunded, harassed, demonetized. I mean, we're not even into the critical race theory stuff in which like today an American Airlines pilot, you know, actually had American Airlines come after him because he was upset about critical race theory being taught at his child's school. Now, when that happens, the interesting thing that I know from my own career, you need to remember that American Airlines wasn't sitting there watching that guy's account. Mm-hmm turds were sitting there watching that guy's account they did some research they went to his employer and then tattled that has happened to me that happens to me this day but i don't have an employer but people go to people that i partner with and and try to shame them out of doing business but surprise surprise i make so much money it doesn't work and i win every time but now i know the names of those people so that's kind of the fun part yeah, but you also win every time because you stand strong. Like, yeah. you don't let it bully you and change your behavior. No, you never can apologize. You can never appease the mob. You should never do those things. I win because I have God on my side. and I just let God be the judge, and I let him take care of me. And there's times, like, when people have come at me, and I've just gotten a word from God, and it's do nothing. With that, and as you know, I don't know if you can know from this podcast, but I'm kind of not a do nothing person. Mm-hmm. I'm more of a Jean Valjean, you know, let's throw some Molotov cocktails. Yeah. Um, but it was interesting in this last round, I got to do nothing, and it so worked out. It was so great. It was amazing. And so, but, it, but it, you know, I'm not talking about that, but that's an interesting side note. I do, people do come after me, just so you know. But, the interesting side note that everybody needs to remember is the people tattling on you. It's not, it may not even be your peers or your friends. It's just people involved in that conversation. And then they do some research about you on the internet. And then that's how they, then they find those people that you work with and then they shame them. That's how that works. There's an argument there to be made for all of us kind of, you know, maybe having alternate personalities, which is why you go by single white Medusa. You don't want people to know about you. Yeah, but I mean, we're obviously not that secretive once we're on the show here. I mean, people yeah. know that. Yeah. That's the, but you have plausible what my real deni- name is. deniability. Yeah, and it's at least if someone was just passively yeah. searching the podcast, they wouldn't see my name right off the bat. Right. They would see, you know. Because so you've got enemies. You've got enemies in the world <laughs> of classical music. Do I? I mean, there's I don't a, even know. There's a there's a particular officially... oboist who wants you dead. Oh, that's true. That's yeah. true. But that was because of you. <laughs> <laughs> you had words with him. <laughs> well, and then I did. But yeah. Um, but you held your ground. You I held my that ground. Dude down. Yeah, he was a bully. He, he cannot won't. give in to terrorists or bullies. You cannot, and I don't understand why why that happens now. Um, what else you got? Well, I have a yeah. actually a sort of segue into one of our listeners requests sure. um, that kind of fits with what we were talking I mean, about. This which... is, this is a customer service <laughs> podcast. Yeah. If you want to know how to cook a great steak or you want to know where to get the best key lime pie in orange County, or you want some dating tips, I would be happy to give all those to you because I'm a master of those things. <laughs> uh, if you want some fashion tips, 
well, okay. single white Medusa can tell you how to up your fashion game and actually or you. to buy a present with you. Yeah, I'm, you that's the little known secret. I'm actually taste. really good at fashion. Yeah. I like, like, if I was not uh, a writer like I am, I would have probably become a hairstylist because I like girls. And that's like, if I was a young man, I, was, I would have become a hairstylist because where else are you going to meet a ton of good looking girls but cutting hair? I'm glad I didn't. Right, because I could have seen that guy getting totally out of hand. Yeah. But to any of the little guys listening now, if you like girls, learn to cut hair. Um, so, or of, I would have gotten into the fashion industry, yeah, and been the only straight guy. Because I do like to, I Not do like the women's only. clothing. There's uh, a few Ralph Lauren. Yeah, Ra yeah, I would have been the new Ralph Lauren. Yeah, and and uh, you know, then you're around supermodels. There, I know. And you're getting to dress them up. Yeah, and I like that. You would be really good at it. I you would be good really at fashion, but I'm a writer. Yes, and I love it. This is perfect. And it's fun. And <laughs> um, I was working on it. Like, how late did I work until last? Yeah. Like, uh, like eight or so, probably at least, or eight thirty. Yeah. Yeah. I was out there till late. Um, tapping so away. There was a question about what we thought about imprecatory prayers. Imprecatory prayers. Um, and I had to actually look. Yeah. It up. So what? I didn't it, know what the was word. the definition of imprecatory prayers? I think it was like praying for ill to befall your enemies yeah. and that type of thing. Yeah. The first off is the first answer is this is not a bad prayer. This is not. And remember, I'm not a theologian or anything, but I read the Bible a lot. Actually, I read it every day. I think I've read it six we've, or seven times. Like through. we've read it together yeah, every day of our marriage, all the, like all the way through yeah. for you think six or seven times. I would say at least. Yeah. Yeah. I used probably. to get, well, we used to read it once a year, once a year. And then we backed it down to like one chapter a because like because the once a year a was like, it was taking like an hour and a half because we're reading a commentary yeah. with it and so it was like yeah. a lot of reading but that's good because as long as you read it all like you want to be able to yeah. um, process it at all and when so, then you know we were in the king james so a lot of our diction was now goodly husband <laughs> sheweth unto me that pastrami <laughs> that thou want to eat is no that didn't happen but um so the imprecatory prayer, you're not a bad person for praying this because David prayed this prayer often. Mm -hmm. um, David said he wanted his enemies, their, their teeth smashed and their eyes gouged out and he wanted justice and, and these kind of things. But we go to Calvary Chapel and there used to be this great guy. He has since passed on named Chuck Smith. And he taught about imprecatory prayers. And he was, he said, you know, the thing to remember is David prayed these things and then he came to the end of himself in his prayer. And, and he realized that it was actually him that needed the mercy and the grace and the encounter and just the knowledge that God would take care of these injustices. But the more important thing was to deal with the condition of David's soul and why he was so really, it's not distraught or enraged. It's actually despair that you're in despair at the injustice, despair at, you know, how you've been wronged. I wish that life were not something where people were wronged, but the truth of it is, is every person out there today has been wronged in some way, shape, or form. Some people to a greater extent, to a much greater extent, and, and it's a legitimate cry. And God tells us, you know, legitimately come and bring your woes to me. You're not supposed to be Johnny Jesus, where people slap you around and hurt you, and you're not upset about that. That's not a sin. You're actually supposed to go to God and cry out about that and bring that to him. And he says, I will hear those things and I will do right. And I will bind up your wounds. But Chuck said one night, this guy came into his sanctuary and he was like drunk and angry. 
and he made Chuck open up the sanctuary and he just wanted to just like pray with Chuck. And all he did for like the first 45 minutes was go on about how he had been wronged, just how everybody in his life had been wronged and God needed to see that and would God strike them dead and all these things. And then he said, then he began to change as he continued to pray and he began to pray how wrong he was and the things that were wrong in his life. And he came to the knowledge of that he was lacking. And then he began for another 45 minutes to pray. And I'm not saying you need to pray all this. I'm just saying this is the long answer to the short answer of what you're going to arrive at. Then the guy began to realize that God was merciful and loved him no matter what, despite the wrongs that had been done to him and despite the condition of his heart. And then he just arrived at peace, peace and grace and was able to praise the Lord and thank the Lord for just all of that and the peace that came with that. And then the guy fell asleep because it had all just been, it had all been the things that were tormenting him had been given up. And so if you look at David's prayers, those same things happen. David starts off saying, I want to smash people. I want you to smash people in the mouth. I want you to break their teeth. I want justice. And then he realizes the condition of his soul. And then he realizes the condition of what God really is, which is full of grace and mercy and love. And he will take care of you because you are his child. And in the end, there will be justice and those things will be resolved. And perhaps the people who have done you wrong might actually get grace and mercy because they asked for it, just as you've gotten grace and mercy because you asked for it. And in the end, wouldn't that, it's hard. It's a hard thing for people who have been truly wrong, but you know, it would be great if we would all admit that we were wrong and then begin to do right by receiving that grace and mercy and being forgiven and just realizing if we would, as my mother would say, if we would have known better, we would have done better. Um, my mom listens to this podcast and has taken to giving me notes every day. <laughs> so that one's for you, mom. What's the second prayer? Uh, question. Question. Um, another one of our friends wanted to know kind of specifically how you and Jason collaborate with your writing. Like, you know, um, cause I think we were talking about you working on forgotten ruin right now. Yeah. How do you guys split uh, it We're up? both working how on forgotten ruin. Work? Jason and I collaborate yeah. on everything. We prefer to keep that a secret just so that people don't say who works on what and who works. Sometimes Jason and I both work on the same thing. Sometimes we work on separate things. Sometimes we, we work on the same thing, but one works on a, one part and then the other works on another part. And then sometimes one works on the entire thing and the other one either gives his critiques, opinions, ideas, or whatever. So none of that will help you to figure out the answer to that question. But I think what you're really asking is how can you collaboratively write with someone else? And I will tell you, there is nothing harder and that I think it appeals sometimes to people to want to collaborate with someone else because they think that that will distribute the workload. Uh, you will be able to get more done, those kinds of things. In the end, it won't be worth it. The first thing that's going to be a problem to collaborating with someone is that I'm, I'm fairly confident in making this statement that you do need to have the same worldview because there are going to be problems that arise in the development of a book and in the development of success and a partnership. And you need to share some common problem 
resolution strategies and some common outlooks. And, and I've just found that like Jason and I, we have the same worldview. We have a commitment. We've had some rocky moments and we have that commitment, uh, how we always resolve those things, no matter what. So that's going to help. We also have um, a strategy for how we do things because, and I learned this at the groundlings, but what you're going to have when you collaborate with somebody is most likely they're not going to give you their great idea. They're just going to work on an idea with you or conversely, they could want to work on their great idea with you, but it's going to be all their idea and anything that you bring to it is going to bother them because they have their, their, so you have to, you have to look at like, why, why are you doing this? Like if you're genuinely wanting to create something new together, the only method that I can recommend doing that is called the yes and method, which I learned at the groundlings in Hollywood, which is where a lot of Saturday night live performers, uh, that were used to be the good ones, not the cruddy ones that are now, but, um, like Phil Hartman, Lisa Kudrow, Will Smith, uh, Will Ferrell, not Will Smith, Will Ferrell, John Lovitz, uh, Chris Kattan, Sherry O'Terry, Kristen Wiig, those kind of people. And if you look at their comedy style, like when I was at the Groundlings, uh, when I first went there, uh, you think that you're going to go there and be funny. And it's not about that. It's about going there and creating a character and telling a story with that character and not going for the jokes, but, but playing the character truthfully. And then that's where the fun really is. Amateurs always try to do a like wah, wah, wah joke or whatever it is, or like, and that shuts it down. So the method that you use at the groundlings, one of the methods is called the yes and method in which someone creates something. They say, okay, um, we're going to, these two guys are driving around um, Bakersfield and the other person comes in and says, okay, and they're two uh, ex-Special Forces military people, and they're going to pull um, a bank heist. I've seen in other collaborations where the other person has that, that special idea that they've been cozying, and they're like, no, 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 it's not a bank heist. It's a different thing. See, that violates yes and. What yes and says is both of you have to constantly reaffirm what the other person's adding. And then you have to justify it. Even if you don't agree with it or whatever you have to like. So if I, if I say to Jason, um, we're going to do a, a space Marine novel and the space Marines are on a gas planet. And Jason comes in and says, yeah, but on that gas planet, there are two Tyrannosaurus Rexes. Then I have to come in and justify why there are Tyrannosaurus Rexes and then add my bit to the story. Well, there are Tyrannosaurus Rexes on this, this planet because, you know, they learn to, to breathe this gas and it's actually made them more hyper intelligent because there's not a lot of predators on, there's not a lot of food on the planet. And so they had to get smarter. So they're, they're so, and Jason, like in, in an amateur relationship could come in and say, oh, I didn't want them to be smart T-Rexes. But in the smart relationship that Jason and I have, both because we both have acting backgrounds and improv backgrounds, now Jason, whether he likes it or not, will go and try to justify why those T-Rexes are smarter. And, and, and we just both use that. And it, it takes the story in new ways that we weren't prepared for or ready for. And that's when you're really creating. That's when you're really collaborating. It's not the same as making it all, all by yourself. But I would say it's it's been very exciting. And if you look at Forgotten Ruin and if you look at Galaxy's Edge, those are pure collaborations. Those are hours and hours and hours. Like Jason and I have weeks sometimes where all we do is talk every day, plotting something out. And then um, 
and do very little writing or go off and, you know, we'll divvy up the chapters or we'll divvy up who's going to write what or the story arcs or the storylines. Or, you know, I'll go to Jason and I'll say, you know, I'm thinking about doing this and I have to do that with Jason because sometimes my instincts aren't always great. I'll, I'll do some kind of wacky things. And especially as the canon develops, I have Jason to come in there and say, well, that is a good idea, but maybe you shouldn't do that because it'll violate canon. And so that, those are the times where, you know, we have such a, Jason and I have such a great partnership. I think it's more rare than it's common. And so I would really say to anybody who's looking at a writing collaboration, I don't think it's a great idea because I've seen a lot of problems come out out of it with people. And invariably what's going to happen, I've seen this in another relationship with someone else between two people. Someone else gets a book contract and the other person gets left behind. And then suddenly the other person's too rock star to write with the person, you know, and someone gets left holding the bag or, or whatever. It's just... You know, writing is a very egotistical business because most writers, not me, are fragile. I'm used to abuse. You get a lot of abuse as a writer. Um, I'm not in it to, you know, uh, write something wrong or, 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 you know, make myself laugh. I don't care. You know, I, I just like telling stories. I don't care what anybody thinks about me. But I've noticed with a lot of writers, there's just a lot of ego there. So putting two writers together who both have egos and writers are flawed, horribly flawed, broken people. And I say that with all the kindness of my heart. But for the most part, most of the writers that I know, even the ones that I like, they've got some problems. And I think that that's the only way you can be a writer sometimes. Like having problems and, and then what the writers do that even have the problems that makes them courageous is they're willing to share those problems in the characters that they write about. And a lot of the times, like Stephen King said one time, nonfiction lies, but fiction tells the truth. If I read someone's book, I can tell you a lot about them. And I think on a certain level, that writer thinks he's hiding it. And then on a certain level, he's confessing it or she's confessing it. So it's a very brave action that they do. But you have to understand writers are, are, are deeply flawed people and they have to write about deeply flawed people doing horrible things because that's what a novel is. It's a, it's a series of horrible things happening to a main character. Drink of coffee. So putting two of those egos into a partnership is rife for disaster unless you have some strategies about how you're going to overcome those problems. Um, but there will be problems and then money gets involved and money always creates problems. And then there will be success and success creates even worse problems. The you have to like, I, I, Jason, and I always tell people when we talk about when we give writing advice out, you have to write as though you're anticipating success. And what we mean by that is like stacking novels so that when people like your novel, they're ready to get the next novel soon. Yeah, well, what happens if you're in a bad partnership with someone you don't like and you have to write novels with them or do something like, and this has happened. This was, this was, you know, Martin and Lewis. They didn't like each other. Yeah, Dean Martin especially didn't like Jerry Lewis. And Jerry Lewis got way too big for Dean Martin. And, you know, when Jerry Lewis was basically off to have his career, you know, he came in and tried to be all high-handed with Dean and say, you know, I'm sorry, I just want to let you know I really like him. And Dean Martin just smoked a cigarette, looked in his face, and he goes, kid, all I ever saw when I looked at you was a big paycheck. You know, that's, you know, like, it's a great comedy team, but the rancor and the bitterness was was there. Remember, Jason and I have been together longer than the Beatles. 
the Beatles were only together for four years. Doing collaborations is a great way to not have a long career or a great way to like end up in bitter animosity with somebody. So that's not like the usual answer you're going to get from most people. They, they, you know, a lot of writers, you know, the, the shysters who have the seminars and Vegas and all that kind of stuff, they'll tell you all about how great it is. But you come to this podcast to get the sort of warts and all crazy opinions that I download on you through single white Medusa. And I would tell you, you are better off just sitting at home and working by yourself. Richard Fox is a friend of mine uh, and he writes a great science fiction series. And he said to me one time, he said, do you know what dungeons, you know what writing is like? And I said, what? And he's like, it's like playing dungeons and dragons all by yourself and having a great time. And he was right. Like you kind of get, I think of it more as a movie because I'm an acting and movie guy and I always wanted to make movies and, and do those things. And I intend to hopefully someday, but I just look, when I write a novel, I look at it like I get to play all the parts. I get to direct, I get to set design. I get to costume design. I get to even do special effects. I get to do everything. And so sometimes doing it with somebody else requires a bit of maturity that, 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 you really do need to possess and you need some, some problem solving skills. And, and I don't know, I think you just have to be a better person than I am. Uh, Jay, you know, going back to God, this is the God podcast. Uh, and I, and I know not everybody believes, so I won't, I won't turn it into that for you, but it's just, it's a Jason's a divine gift for me. And so I, I'm just happy to have that partnership. I absolutely don't deserve it. We have a great time together doing it. We have a lot of fun. We are brothers from another mother, and and I'm just surprised it's made it this long. I think it'll go for the rest of our lives, but you know, if uh, it, you know, Jason could just become rock star, and and I could retire, and he's going to have to go on and and do his thing. You know, I'm, I'm getting old, fifty two. Oh no, you're but I do CrossFit. Right for the rest of your life. So, what I get from that is it's sort of like a marriage, like it's like it's a, a marriage. business marriage. Yeah. And just like if you tried to marry this person, this person, this person over here, it could probably be disastrous yeah. with most people. But when you find that just that right combination, right. it can be really great. But it's that kind of thing. Like, gosh, there could be a lot of disastrous pairings just because uh, personality clashes and things like that. So. I mean, I guess this would be this. Uh, the person should ask themselves, are you in a good marriage? Mm hmm. That's and true. and then you you also should look around and say how many good marriages do you know? Yeah, there's not a lot, honestly. Right. In, in a very sad way, there's not a lot of great marriages, mm -hmm. and that sucks because like that's kind of the biggest thing in your life, and that's person yeah. probably, that's probably the person that's going to be squeezing your hand when you push off the old mortal coil. <laughs> Why do you think that's so funny? Yeah, no, just funny, funny way to put it. <laughs> <laughs> or chip you off onto the ice floe like you're going to do. No, I would never do that. Never do that, but I will hold your hand. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I'll be holding your hand. That's that's probably true. Okay, conspiracy theory time. Okay. Ready? Like, okay, so we were, we said we were going to download, you know, some thoughts about what the virus and the pandemic and the mass are all about. So I was kind of thinking about, you know, and Nicole and I have been kind of having conversations. We're like, why? Why the push? Mm -hmm. Yeah, even today I was like, I, I was thinking about it kind of all morning and like there's something still missing for me in our like I feel like there's something there like there's a theory there and I was just like 
oh, I can't think of it. What is it? You know, it's not making sense. What is their end goal? Like, what do they want from this? Because they, they clearly desperately want this. And I don't think it's because they truly care about our lives so very much. So it was just, and you had a, an interesting. Yeah. So you theory. asked me, you said like, come on, like, what's it all about? And I said, okay, there's two ways to figure this out. And I didn't even think I came up with a second way, but I just kind of like the first way I said is what you have to do, because I, I was having this really fun conversation when I woke up this morning, this morning, and I, I won't mention his name because maybe he doesn't want me to, but he's a scientist and really neat, interesting guy with uh, computers. I'm not even really kind of sure what he does, but, but I find him to be highly intelligent and interesting and fun. And he was just talking to me about data and how important data was. And, 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 and we were kind of running through some of the scenarios, but that kind of got me juicing on where I kind of went with this, which was you have to, you have like the thing that he said was, I, I asked him, I said, why is data so powerful? Because he was telling me that that's really the obsession right now with a lot of the corporations and tech giants. And, and he made a stunning claim and if he wants me to i'll give him the credit but he, he said in 10 years you won't be able to drive your own vehicle in major metropolitan cities because they'll make laws saying that you have to drive self-driving vehicles and, and he said that's a really big thing because they want it they want data and they want to know what you're doing and these kinds of things and i just said i know I, i've never really been able to articulate it but why is data so important mm -hmm. and i thought he was going to give me a different answer than the one that he gave me and the answer that he gave me was this he said, data is so important because it's easier to rewrite history when you control all the data. Oh, you didn't tell me that. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Yeah. So that got me to thinking while I was pounding some steel out in the garage. That's code for lifting weights. <laughs> it's working on the pecs. And um, so I came in and, and, and I made Nicole a roast beef sandwich and we were talking about it. was a tri-tip sandwich. It was really good. And um, we were talking about it. I said, okay. What you have to do, keeping my, my friend's comment in mind, that data gives you the ability, control of data, it gives you the ability to rewrite history the way that you, to control the narrative, essentially. Well, if that's the case, then what you need to understand is that everything that's happened since the pandemic, like we were talking about with Fauci, the story has constantly changed. Mm -hmm. You know, no masks, you know, don't wear masks, whatever. Go mm -hmm. to Chinatown. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh, y'all got to put on masks. You got to put on three masks. You got to put on 75 masks. We're out of it. You know, like constantly flip-flopping and no one ever saying, hey, pandemic golem, mm -hmm. how many times, pick a store, pick a lane. And maybe, you know, Fauci's 80 years old. Maybe he, his opinions are like how 80-year-old men drive. Like pick a lane and own it, buddy. Mm -hmm. You know, don't. Don't keep flip-flopping every two weeks and driving everybody nuts. Everybody's kind of a little nutty already. Yeah. You might want to have some consistency, panic, pandemic golem. Mm -hmm. So pandemic golem's all over the place because pandemic golem and his, his crowd control the news cycle. Every four days, they can give you a new event for you to go, oh my gosh. Mm -hmm. But if you could just go back and crawl through the entire thing, you would figure out what this is all about. So I tried to play that mental exercise with myself and I said to myself, okay, what is really going on? Well, we know there's a pandemic. We know that Bill Gates is driving in a lot of ways. 
What is the vaccine? Why is it so important? Why does Hillary Clinton want you to have it? Why is she invested in all? Why is Joe Biden saying you better get it or you'll be sorry? Mm-hmm. Why the threats? Why is that so important? And that's the question you're asking. Yeah, you know, like, and, and as I said yesterday, if you guys hate my guts so much, Joe Biden called us Neanderthals, called yeah. Texas Neanderthals yeah. because they were going to be, and Gavin Newsom, reckless because they weren't going to wear masks. Today, this week, zero COVID deaths. Mm-hmm. Where's the where's the taking that back? Well, they know that they control the narrative, blah, blah, blah. So I went to the source because I want it, because Bill Gates, when you flip over enough rocks, you keep finding Bill Gates. Mm-hmm. You keep finding him as the prime motivator. So we have to ask ourselves, what is Bill Gates? And I asked Nicole, what is Bill Gates? And you said, I mean, it took me a couple guesses, but then I did guess correctly. And it was, what was your first guess? Oh, I just said, I knew this wasn't totally accurate, but I was like, I don't know. Like he kind of sort of invented the modern day computer. Yeah. And that's a kind of a layman's take of it. But the reality is what Bill Gates invented. Um, now I already, oh, operating system. An operating system. That's all he did. And And he really didn't. Other people did it. But look at where all the other people are. Some are dead. Some are poor. And whatever you want to say about how everything shook out, when you think Bill Gates, you think Microsoft, richest man in the world, one of them at times, at times the richest man in the world. But he's the one who basically gave the world an operating system for computers that laymen and all of us and pros and everybody could could use. Up to that point, there were other operating systems, and there still are other operating systems. But just so you know, Microsoft controls about 85 to 90% of the operating systems in the world. And what is an operating system? It's just a way to interface with a computer and get it to do things. Um, Then you can have apps, applications, or programs like Word or Excel or all these things that can be used on the operating system. So I said to myself, okay, if this man had success implementing an operating system onto computers, which already existed, Bill Gates did not invent computer systems. Bill Gates did not invent operating systems, but Bill Gates managed through acumen and business acumen and savviness. And some people would say some other things that are going on to make the world use windows. And so I said to myself, why would that guy get out of his lane? Mm -hmm. Perhaps the vaccine, which he seems to be driving, um, look up things like, you know, event 201. Look at how long, like in 2009, he makes a comment, you know, like, you know, uh, vaccines are going to be the biggest investment, you know, uh, potential in the future. He was looking at it monetarily. Okay. People are having problems with the vaccine. That's the truth. Eric Clapton comes out and says, I lost feeling my hands was numb. It was burning. Chelsea Handler's off on her thing. I think Rob Schneider had an interesting post today where he talked about mRNA technology has been out there for 30 years. I, they've been developing it. They've wanted to use it. They don't know how to use it. They don't know much about it. It's still a science experiment. I think that what people are getting and the pressure to get it right now is to get a biological operating system downloaded onto you. What can they do with that? You can think of some great things they could do with that. Hey, we've come up with the cure for cancer. And if you've got the operating system, we can just plug this cancer op, uh, app in and we can cure you. Great. That, that sounds like I, I'm all for that. I think that'd be cool. Cancer is a horrible death. It sucks. Um, I just don't think people are 
you know, when you look at the eugenicist background of Bill Gates and his father and his partnership with Epstein, which is well-documented, side note, apparently Bill Gates couldn't score with all the money in the world with the hottest chicks. That's a story that's coming out now, which is why he was hanging around Epstein. Like this kid had no game whatsoever. So I know we give Hoochie Mamas a hard time, but I'd like to say hats off to the Hoochie Mamas that didn't give in to all the money in the world. And, and Bill Gates still could not score. Like, it's, I think that's a funny thing. Anyways, what is it? It's an operating system in which apps can be downloaded onto. I tend to think nefariously. I think that there's some more nefarious applications to this. For example, um, let's say you go into a doctor and they diagnose you with leukemia. Well, what's the one of the first things they do? They look at your family history. But now we have all that data about leukemia and they leukemia and they see a spike in your family bloodline, in your genetics that indicates you have leukemia. And they're like, you know, keeping this sick person around in in the genetic pool, which we're all about because we're eugenicists, is kind of a drag. Imagine if they weren't in the gene pool anymore. So they download an app that makes sure you're sterile and can't reproduce. And then they download an, a biological app that makes sure that you wrap it up pretty quickly without a lot of cost to the medical system. That's a nefarious end that I can see. I think that there are other nefarious applications that would allow them to manage and control the population that they like. Lo and behold, I look on my local paper and they're now breaking down vaccinations by zip code. They want to know which of us knuckle dragger zip codes in South County aren't getting the vaccination. What do you think they're going to do with that? You know, they, they could, you know, they could look at vaccinations and populations that aren't voting the way that they want to, and they can make sure those, those people are sick. That's something that they could do. I mean, people have talked about tracking and tracing biologically. That could be something. The MK Ultra program was real. And I know this gets into crazy time, but if you could do it, why not? So is the vaccine that we're getting right now harmless? I think some people are really struggling with it. That has like why that isn't honestly being talked about. I don't know. Where's Tiffany Dover? Um, it's not if it's a good thing that they're trying to do for us, then lay all the, the marbles on the table. But, you know, zero heads just got taken down today because they came out with an article that basically shows where the top government scientific advisors were using and admitting to using totalitarian propaganda to manipulate the culture. So that, like, if you're actually trying to help somebody, why do you need to lie to do it? Just lay all the cards out and let's all work together. But they're not doing that. And so that leads me to believe that it's something nefarious. The minimum nefarious thing that I can think right now is with that operating system onboarded to your biological unit, you are now a computer being run by an operating system that they can have access to, to make sure that you get apps. What's the next app? Oh, next winter, we're going to do COVID 2.0. You're going to need this app. What's that app? Well, maybe they don't like the fact that a certain population costs a lot of money. So let's get rid of that population. Let's make sure that this population uh, isn't around to bother us anymore. Let's get rid of Down syndrome children those kind of things. They could be doing that. Another way that they could be doing apps, they could, you know, come up with a real cool drink called Get It. And you could have black people dancing around on TV and having the greatest time of their life drinking Get It to rap music. And you start drinking Get It. And the biological upgrade that you might need 
because that needs to be refrigerated is in that unit. And there's a whole advertising campaign to get an app onto your operating system. As Nicole said, you know, you could just refuse to take the vaccination right now and kind of see how things improve. You don't need to take it right now. And yet we have from them a concerted push for you to absolutely take this vaccination. Or as Joe Biden said, you're going to pay. You pay the price. I don't know if he knows Americans, but I think there's still enough of us Americans that say those are fighting words. I think there's a whole bunch of Americans that are like, you know, I love jam jams and stimmy and I don't shave but once a month and I want to stay home and finish Netflix. But there are still a lot of us that are hardworking. We believe in America because America is not our government. America is us. And we're going to do what's right no matter what. And we're going to insist on our freedoms. I don't know if that'll end so well, but that's the way I'm going. I hope you're with me. I think we had fun today. Yeah. Final thoughts, single white Medusa. I think you're right on. Um, I had seen that on Moderna's actual website that they had described it As that an, way yeah. for, in kind of layman's terms. They had described it that way. So yeah, I remember you can actually read yeah. that and you know, maybe, maybe we can, actually find that and put well, that the in, funny thing is in the comments and the links I but tried... i do remember moderna specifically when they were trying to advance the mrna shot talking about it as an app as an app it's really an operating system the apps are coming and i and, I, and that is that is my firm weirdo conspiracy belief man i hope i'm wrong man i hope i'm crazy i hope it's good people wanting to do good i am actually believe it or not kind of a naive optimist i'm not as cynical I've gotten cynical. Yeah, I think we've both gotten more cynical. Uh, but there's a part of me that still really wants to be naive and optimistic. But I don't know. I guess that feels kind of foolish now to be that naive and optimistic yeah. in light of constantly catching Fauci and lies. Yeah. In light of Bill Gates's relationship with Jeffrey Epstein. In light of Bill Gates's known failures. You know, you have to remember most vaccine companies and pharmacological companies are actually criminals. They have been prosecuted criminally. If they were a person, they would be a felon and they would not be allowed to vote. But because they're a corporation, these are people that have killed people, lied about it, look at the Oxycontin stuff, calling people pillbillies. These are not good people. And yet people are blindly lining up around the block. And that whole vaccine, oh, you can't get it a couple of months ago. That was a big con. That was a big scarcity con. And you know what? The rubes lined up to get it. I'm not calling you a rube or anything if you got it. I totally, every, I, I fully support everybody doing whatever they want. Where I draw the line is where I get shamed for, for doing what I want to do. I do not think you're dumb or whatever for getting a vaccine. Some people were forced to do it. Some people looked at the evidence and they came to their own conclusion. Great, cool. I looked at the evidence all year long and I came to my conclusion. And, and that's just how I'm going to live my life. But I hope, I really do hope, that we can all, regardless of our differences of opinions, be in this together and actually make America greater than it's ever been. That's my campaign slogan. <laughs> if you'd like to develop, donate to my campaign, then go ahead and subscribe because we would like more subscribers. We have some great subscribers now. Subscribe for the year or join the Insiders Foundation Club and get something really special and secret and inside from me that's coming. Um, smash the like button. Smash the share button. Tell people about us. Jump in the comments and disagree.
agree or agree and have a conversation and uh, be nice to single white Medusa. So far, so good on that front. You, you guys are great to her. That is the podcast today. We will back tomorrow.